and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your host, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Welcome, everyone, to Blood is the New Black, an episode where A is for accessories. We have a tooth necklace and a coffin earring, plus a delightful flashback of the Aria Allison Vengeance Wilding and one of the best Vandermeeren scenes of the whole series. We also have some low-grade test shenanigans, some controlling boyfriends, some mounting questions, and the revelation that bitch can see. <laughs> yes, and some problematic dialogue to bring it all together. Um, <laughs> I think the blood of blood is the new black. What do you think that's in reference to this episode? Um... If I had to guess, I would say that they just wanted a catchy episode title, but we do get that shot of Mona, uh, Mona yeah. teasing herself in that pinprick of blood. Uh, so I would say that's probably the most prominent blood of the episode. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would agree. And I guess you could, I mean, if you really wanted to stretch it, you could be like, well, she was like using the thing that Hannah brought her. That's like, and that's like the world of fashion and like. You know, the way that somebody will be like, blank is the new blank. I don't know. It's... And we get those black hoodies at the end. This is true. This is true. This was before Orange is the New Black was a thing, right? Like many years before? I think that that's true. Okay. Because I was thinking maybe like Mona being locked up or, or Garrett. I don't know. I'm probably thinking about it way more than whoever named this episode thought about it. Well, you probably are, but the book might have been out. The The book, Orange is the New Black, might have already been released by the time this episode was up. Not sure. Okay. Well, either way, this episode is called Blood is the New Black, and there is a lot that happens in it. <laughs> there is. There is. Oh, my goodness. Um, we open on the liars in class, Ella's class specifically, uh, where she's talking about Hedda Gabler as it relates to blackmail. Uh, the ominous nature of this lecture is interrupted by Emily finding a necklace made with teeth in her purse, uh, including block letters spelling out dead girls can't smile. She quite understandably freaks out and stands up in the middle of class asking to be excused. God love you, Emily Fields, and your rule-following heart for asking to be excused before bolting out of class after finding the tooth necklace. Arya and Spencer run after her without asking. <laughs> Somewhat disruptive to the class, I think. Um, despite class being in session, Hannah is wandering the halls, wearing an 80s workout look with dangling tassel earrings, and she follows the others to the bathroom where they debate whether the teeth are real or alleys or should they give this to police or tell their parents. Uh, we learn that they burned the photos from the end of the last episode, but they don't know how much the new A knows and are afraid of having to confess every lie they've ever told since Allison died. The necklace falls into the toilet, and as the liars go to fish it out, the bell rings and Spencer's hand jerks and the necklace is flushed away. Did Spencer do that on purpose? Oh, possibly, possibly. Yeah, I find Spencer really interesting in this in this first scene. First of all, you talked about Hannah's look, which is ridiculous. Arya's outfit, I called Uptown Pirate Wench. 
like it, it, it's it's quite a look. Like it looks kind of normal when she's sitting down, and then she gets up, and you're like, oh wow, that's 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 like a Halloween costume. It's not there, Arya. Um, but I'm really fascinated. So Arya has been completely like pro talking to the police this whole season. Um, that's been her thing. Is like we should talk to the police. We should talk to the police. Which like lol at Arya wanting to talk to the police and their parents. Arya, you know, one half of Presria Montgomery. Um, but Spencer is super like, nope, we gotta, you know, we gotta like lock doors. We're not telling anybody. No, no information gets out. And some of that I think is, you know, the, the self-preservation piece of it all. But I also really think, you know, we've, you've been talking a lot about Spencer grieving the loss of the mystery. And I think that the more that they keep this information insular, the more the mystery is kind of kept alive for them. The more they get to be the ones investigating, they get to be the ones involved. And Spencer gets to avoid the potential real world con- consequences of the police if she was, in fact, involved in Allie's death. Yeah, 100 um, percent. Also, I feel like it's way creepier uh, knowing the uh, kind of crappy Marlene explanation after everything is said and done that all of these body parts and things were just coming from uh, medical, like medical school corpses. That's actually pretty creepy that Cece is like going into the medical school morgue and like harvesting teeth and other body parts uh, for all of these shenanigans. Well, I feel like that's another Ren's possible involvement clue mm-hmm. potentially mm-hmm. also oh, like for sure uh, a a always loves to turn a body part into jewelry i mean ren became an eternity stone this girl's teeth became a became a creepy necklace like yeah you can always accessorize with a human body part according to a the finger bone corset i mean oh lest we forget possibilities are limitless yes you know you, you always got to give a points for creativity so after the credits, the liars are debriefing all of this at lunch. Arya still thinks they should have gone to the cops, and they all really want Hannah to go back to Radley to interrogate Mona. Um, Hannah is pretty unhappy about this. She doesn't like being on the spot. She doesn't like being put in the position of having to interrogate Mona. Um, and, and I'm really fascinated by the way that Hannah, it's like she's been treating her visits with Mona like she's having an affair. Uh, which is always sort of the way that Vandermeeren felt, I think, before the A reveal. That was like Mona was kind of Hannah's side piece from the liars slash Caleb. Um, but it, I also think the liars so much are operating with this all for one, one for all mentality right now. And Hannah's visits were with Mona were something just for Hannah. You know, nobody else was involved. Caleb wasn't involved. It was something just for her. Um, and it sort of allowed her to retain a piece of her individuality. And I think that having it out in the open and having other people sort of inserting their own missions onto her visits with Mona, uh, is really sort of shattering this whole, this whole situation for her. Anyway, end of digression. Um, Spencer says that she will work on Garrett. If Hannah goes back to Radley, Hannah storms off, uh, and they watch the other liars watch as Jenna walks in. They all, again, of course, loudly whisper about her shadiness and how it may or may not connect to Lucas or Mona. Arya says that Jenna seems blinder than she did last year. Yes, because Jenna is uh, in this scene. She like bonks into some dude and uh, the like 
It's as if uh, now that Jenna is perhaps not blind and is pretending to be blind, she is overacting her blindness in a way that, let's be real, Jenna would never do. Yes. And I think at some point in this episode or over these next few episodes, we should have a conversation about um, the sort of latest manifestation in the show vilifying Jenna's disability with this new added layer of, oh, she's faking it. And like her sort of weaponizing her own disability and then other people sort of weaponizing that knowledge against her. Well, yes, this is a uh, this is, as you mentioned, a, a problematic episode in terms of a lot of its language, but also in terms of uh, this being an episode where uh, we are meant to question and conclude that Jenna is faking being blind and also that Mona is probably faking being mentally ill. Right. And it feels like there's sort of um, this this like weird kind of backdoor logic that doesn't really get named in the episode, but definitely feels present of like, oh, well, if if Jenna is faking being blind, it doesn't matter that she was actually blind for all that time and that the liars actually blinded her. Jenna's being bad. Liars are off the hook. Liars are the heroes. Jenna is the villain. You know, that's the end of the story kind of thing. Oh, yes, yes. Pretending to be blind equals a much greater sin than actually having blinded someone in the moral, like, worldview of the liars from this point forward. Right. And it's also just such a, a an unnuanced way of looking at a, a disability. And, and particularly, like, I'm... I don't want to speak for anybody's experience, but, like, I can imagine that if you have a disability that then shifts or changes or goes away you have probably a very complicated relationship with yourself and with with that disability and i don't know it just seems like this is a once again really irresponsible storytelling on the part of pll yeah and it's interesting too because remember when jenna first came back and the liars were all like too guilty to even look at her they're mm-hmm. not too guilty to look at her anymore um but it it seems like they've just kind of as a group decided, uh, you know, they, they've decided to forget that that ever happened. I think um, that's no longer, that's no longer the motivation of what a has on them. Now a has them being at the graveyard that night. So it's mm-hmm. as if because the show isn't worried about that as their motivation anymore. Uh, the liars kind of forget to uh, feel any feelings about it. Yeah, you know, that I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about, I mean, this is, this is like a kind of dark analogy, but it makes me think about how, like, when, when a woman, um, like, speaks out about, like, being abused by a powerful man or something like that, people act as though her speaking out is more damaging than the abuse that the man inflicted. And Uh I feel like this is, this is a version of that where the liars are acting like Jenna faking being blind is worse than the fact that they blinded her in the in the first place. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, so moving away, uh, moving away from Jenna, uh, we go to Caleb, who's in the computer room, uh, where Hannah comes in and lies badly about needing to shop with her mom, so she can't have dinner with him after all. Is tomorrow okay instead? He agrees, but he's also clearly seeing through her story. So... I mean, I know that we have, like, textual reasons for why Hannah is lying to Caleb here, but 
this also feels like very queer the way that she's lying about all of this doesn't it well yeah it's definitely set up as if an affair is going on as if she's cheating on him and actually i i'll have more to say about this kind of as as we go along but um when he finds out that it's Mona, I mean, part of the reason she's not telling him is because he behaves exactly as he does um, when he finds out, but also just the way he responds. It's as if he has this like amorphous, nameless fear. It's as if he's experiencing ambiguous loss where Hannah is concerned. Like Mm. she's still present, but her attention on him has like dwindled to the point that they're not communicating very well. And it's as if he has all these fears that he's not sure exactly what's happening. But then when he sees Ren, it seems like his fears solidify around Hannah uh, maybe confiding too much or becoming too close to Dr. McSketchy. When I really think that his uh, the more accurate uh, distraction for Hannah right now is certainly not Ren. It's certainly Mona herself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how the show does this sort of like misdirect for Caleb in that in that moment. It's actually pretty pretty like subtly done for this show, I feel. Um so we learn that Emily has to take four makeup tests. She is talking uh with the liars Sans Hannah about all of this. We also find out that she was absent for all of April, so I guess the whole timeline thing does kind of check out. I don't know. It's weird that that's relegated to this one throwaway line. But then what happened in May? She was absent all of April, but she was there in May, but she didn't take any of the tests. And her mom let her go build habitat houses instead of, I don't know, just thinking out loud here, going to summer school. Also, they had senior registration weekend and Emily got to register for her senior classes, even though she hadn't... I mean... I, I I just don't know. They they have a lot of disorganization around education in Rosewood. Yeah, maybe she just, like, didn't go to school and, like, slept, laid in bed for all of April and then left for Habitat, like, in May or something. But I I don't know. It doesn't it, – it, it falls apart if you look at it too much, like many things related to this show. Um we see that Ella is kind of looking on um, as the liars are talking. Um, Spencer suggests that Emily get a study partner. You know, I would pitch maybe Spencer herself, maybe Paige McCullers. But then Arya's eyes get wide with the worst idea ever. She gets a gleeful look on her face as she pitches Ezra. Oh, Ezra should be Emily's study partner. Oh, my God. Arya, you are so much yourself and so terrible here why would emily want this why would ezra want this spencer is the voice of reason she says awkward and then um when when emily points out that she has seen ezra's underwear drawer and Arya weirdly insists that it was just his sock drawer spencer just types up with why would his socks have a flap in the middle um i want to say as somebody who is often like somewhat overly helpful or like trying to be overly helpful in certain situations, I can kind of relate to Arya's eagerness here. But this is such a bad idea. This is just such a terrible idea. This idea is a runaway train that can't be stopped. Thankfully, the arrival of Meredith pauses Arya's mania, or just redirects it, I guess. Um, Meredith, who I'm not sure if we've ever even heard her speak, um, is there at the school. 
Spencer very loudly calls Meredith a skank and offers some exposition to remind the audience who Meredith is. This was uh, Byron's mistress from uh, the pre-Iceland trip. Uh, we learn that Meredith is applying for an open teaching position. She is very icy to Aria, saying that she will not be asking her for a recommendation. <laughs> well, I have a couple points of order for this scene. Number one, uh, the liars are right. It was definitely his underwear drawer because we know that in his sock drawer, he also keeps like a cool million in cash. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was the underwear drawer. Um, number two... I just, I, I feel like uh, Spencer calling Meredith uh, a skank, uh, she's obviously absorbing her girlfriend's misplaced anger and letting reptile skank King Byron completely off the hook, um, which, you know, happens throughout this episode, but no big deal. Uh, also, Meredith is applying for an open teaching position because teaching art history at the local college certainly <laughs> qualifies you to teach whatever the open position is here at the high school, do you think it's harder to get hired as a teacher at Rosewood High or as a cop at the Rosewood PD? <laughs> I think it's harder, probably by a, by a slim margin, harder to get hired as a teacher. It seems like with the cops, they just welcome you with open arms. Um, yeah, I, Spencer is like full of the quips this episode and some of them are like a little bit mean. Um, I, I think maybe we're supposed to think that she's sexually frustrated. Oh, mm, that that does make sense. And um, there are a couple of uh, possible throuples shaping up in this episode. And unfortunately, Spencer doesn't get to be in any of them. So bad luck for her. <sighs> Poor Spencer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh. No, no, I was just saying I'm sorry that you have this next scene. <laughs> oh, well, in the car with Prezra, Arya is going on and on about Meredith, worried about her mom having to see Meredith every day. Prezra has no time for this and thinks she shouldn't tell either of her parents. Now, I also think that Arya needs to take a big step back and let her parents navigate their own relationship post-divorce without any intervention from their teenage daughter. But of course, Prezra says she shouldn't intervene because they're still on tender ground with the Montgomery fam. Although they did just have that lovely dinner with Ella. They kiss, which is always a yuck for me, but you also get a shot of his tongue in the scene, which I wish I did not have to see. Emily calls Aria, who bullies her into calling Prezra, because she's desperate to normalize their relationship. Then she pressures Prezra, who is feigning reluctance, but is probably stoked to have another source for the true crime book that he's stalking them all in order to write. Oh my god. Yeah, Arya is just like, she's so, it's like the more that Emily and Ezra don't want to do this, the more she is pushing this idea. I, she's so rude to Emily. Emily calls her presumably to like, I don't know, talk about her dead girlfriend or something. <laughs> And Arya is like, what are you doing? Why haven't you called Ezra? Call him right now. He's available. And hangs up on Emily. Like, Arya, you are being a bad friend right now. Well, also, this is like, this is like Rosewood PA. Emily could be calling to say that she's like trapped in a wooden box that's heading for a giant saw. Like, you really should not, <laughs> you really should not 
like just blow off your friend in that way. I feel like it is kind of dangerous. Yes, not to mention rude. Um, so Garrett and Spencer are at the jail. He wants to know if she's talked to her mom. She needs a better reason and wants to know about Allie's body. Uh, Garrett says, he says something really interesting. He says, what was snatched from Allie's grave would prove his innocence. Be- and I'm fascinated by that because he does not say Allie's body. Um, I cannot remember the particulars of what Garrett does and doesn't know. Does Garrett know that it wasn't Allison who was buried? I don't think so. Okay, because that that line sort of seemed to suggest maybe maybe they were just writing it in a way where they he could know. I mean, he he might know. He I guess if Melissa told him anything, I I'm not sure. Um, but he seems certain about it at any rate. Yeah. Um, but Spencer, I just I love how like not afraid of Garrett she is here. Um, Garrett says, somebody you know well has you completely fooled. People lie, but medical records don't. Uh, as Garrett starts to be led away, Spencer just starts shouting out the names of people who he could be referring to. Allison? Jenna? Is it Jenna? Um, is that it, it is Jenna, I think, that he's referring to. And yet, that information about Jenna's sight is ultimately pretty insignificant. I mean, she's just going to go blind again in a few seasons. But actually, the medical records regarding Allison's body are very significant because it's not Allison's body. Oh, now see, that's so interesting. I thought what he was supposed to be referring to here is actually Melissa's uh, fake pregnancy. I thought oh. that was what he was trying to clue Spencer into. Uh, but I would also like it if he was trying to alert Spencer uh, to Spencer herself being the child of Peter and Mary Drake. Which, you know, Garrett could know for any number of reasons. Well, I think that I think that it's possible that Melissa could have given sure. him some info, but you, you never know. Uh, anyway, we don't really know what it is that he's saying, but uh, his, uh, you know, just the little tidbits that he's throwing out are definitely enough to whet Spencer's appetite. And I feel like every time she visits him, in in jail the scene ends with either her like banging on the glass with questions or garrett like yelling after her through the glass like they they never just have like a a regular like goodbye see you next time kind of farewell and garrett has never been more interesting than in these scenes with spencer i would say yeah yeah i i definitely agree uh ooh, vandermeeren at radley Hannah is dishing with comatose Mona about Bridget Wu and some dude who Noel likes because he can burp the star-spangled banner. Uh, At the total lack of response, Hannah gets increasingly desperate for some sign of the old Mona. She asks if Noel has visited her, if anyone has other than Hannah. Uh, Mona just looks at her but says nothing, and Hannah starts losing it. Like, the truth is that no one else has visited Mona, and Hannah knows it. And Mona knows it. And, like, the weight of that is that Hannah loves Mona more than anyone else and always has. And the weight of that is, like, too much to bear. And when Hannah starts losing it, it's like she doesn't, like, break down and start sobbing. She gets angry. She gets really angry uh, because anger is more comfortable than grief. Like, it's why family members fight at funerals because, like, it's a, a comfortable feeling. It's much more comfortable 
than just being really sad. Um, but Hannah tells Mona that if she told the cops how Mona mowed her down with her car, she wouldn't be in Radley having peach pie to wash down her meds. She'd be in jail with someone who calls her peach pie while Mona braids her back hair. Even this mildly gay prison scenario yields no response, despite how much Mona would love for Hannah to call her cute food-related nicknames. Hannah throws her badge, which says Rivers, in the trash as she says Mona ruined her life and she owes her. She hurls a metal chair, which makes enough noise for Wren to rush into the room and declare the visit over. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be a broken record on this, but Ashley Benson is so good in these scenes. She's just, she's so good. Um, I love the specificity of her naming um, Mona mowing her down with the car because there's this sense that like Hannah's been really thinking about that the fact that it was Mona who did that you know Mona who almost killed her um, and yeah I, I also just that line you have you owe me you've made my life a nightmare um, it's so great because it's like she's made She's made, obviously, Hannah's life a nightmare as A, but the fact that she's Mona as A, it's like Hannah's life has become a nightmare in this different way because her best friend was A, and everything they shared is is different now. Yeah, I think that these scenes are some of the best Vandermeeren scenes uh, of the series. Uh, any of the Vandermeeren scenes where they're at Radley, so, you know, in this episode, in, in future episodes... And I really feel like it's one of the few times that the writers actually uh, give us some space and time to explore the very complex dynamics of Vandermeeren. I agree. And and one thought that I had is I had forgotten how much, and, and I think this is maybe even the last episode, but I had forgotten how much uh, Vandermeeren in Radley time we got that was actually about sort of Hannah processing her grief and processing their friendship Versus just Hannah and the liars trying to track down clues. Uh, I'd forgotten how much space we got for that at the beginning of this season. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's always there, but you're right. It does, it does become less about Hannah wanting to go and more about other people pushing her for their own agendas. Um, you know, after, after this point for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh boy, it's rear window brew, Emily and Ezra time. Um, things start off really strong with uh, Emily coming in and calling Ezra Mr. Fitz. Ezra says, you can call me Ezra. And Emily replies, no, I can't, but I can try. Someday Ezra is going to write some sleazy sex book about his relationship with an underage girl called You Can Call Me Ezra. We can bet on that. Um but, you know, it's, this is like another weird moment where it kind of feels like the text of the show is calling out how awkward this is and how weird this is. Um, Ezra tries to make some like English teacher quips about, you know, English being his first language and that being the thing that he can um, help Emily with when she starts naming all of the other makeup tests that she has to take. Um, and then he offers her a not at all sincere sounding apology for Maya's death. It's clear she doesn't want to talk about it, but he does. So who cares what she wants? He apologizes again. Um, I get that grief is like awkward and uncomfortable and very few, if any people like feel comfortable in the role of having to comfort someone. But I feel like a man Ezra's age has probably dealt with grieving people before and might have more to offer than just this like stilted. I'm sorry. 
I just wanted you to know. I'm sorry. Um, but of course, this would require Ezra to have the gift of empathy, which is not something that he seems to possess. Well, yeah, and his sympathy is not required here. His assistance right. in helping her study is required here. And inserting her dead girlfriend into the conversation is not really going to be, I feel like, helpful to that agenda. He's not doing that. You know, he's not doing that for her. He's doing that for himself because he wants to get more information for his stupid book that he's writing. Uh, also, if he was really genuinely sorry, he might offer the assistance of his 1,000 cameras to assist <laughs> In the investigation. But, you know, I guess it's the insincere thought that doesn't count here. Yes, it seems so. It seems so. Uh, Back at Radley, another older man is preparing to take advantage of a vulnerable teenage girl. Ren gets Hannah coffee and says Mona deserves to be drawn and quartered for what she did to her. Uh, Well... So is this the way that mental health professionals are supposed to speak about people that they're allegedly trying to rehabilitate? Oh, Ren is a complete disaster as a mental health professional (laughs) in this episode. Like, later on, he's basically giving case notes to Caleb in the hallway. So, I mean, he is, like, I... This this particular scene that, that we're about to talk about is one of the ones that I always looked back to as a, a possible Ren is A, uh, you know, kind of flashing, flashing light. But there was also um, a theory that had a lot of um, a lot of people interested in it around this time period that Ren was not a doctor at Radley, that he was actually a patient, which I think is, is certainly not true based on the fact that he's constantly being buzzed in and out of various doors. Um, but at any rate, uh, he's, he's a disaster as a mental health professional, but keep in mind, he's only a volunteer doctor a few days a week. <laughs> Yes, the other days he's like, you know, performing appendectomies and like, I don't know, probably like reading people's auras or something like I- <laughs> <laughs> Yes, performing, yes. performing veterinarian, veterinarian medicine. I yeah, I mean, any anyone who is injured in Rosewood, animal, vegetable or mineral, uh, you you certainly probably have to go to him. It's like the state of healthcare in America is that regardless of what your insurance is, if you're within like 50 miles of Rosewood, you have to go see Ren Kingston if you need any kind of medical care. Yep. Um, But so he's talking about Mona uh, and, you know, needing to be drawn and quartered. He says he understands Hannah lashing out. He talks about his own father having been committed and how Ren once threw a bowl of soup at the wall in a place like this uh, to try and, you know, generate a reaction. Uh, Hannah responds to his empathy uh, like this is a great way to get information from Hannah. He is playing her like a violin. Uh, Hannah has a great big heart. And if you like confess something about yourself or your trauma to her, she is going to respond to that by by really opening up. Uh, And he understands that Uh, she says that Mona never even apologized um, Ren talks about the concept of ambiguous loss, and although he is already trying to weasel his way into her affections, uh, when he talks about the ambiguous loss element, he is also providing useful counseling to Hannah in this situation. He is, and, and he's right on the money, I think, with, with the ambiguous loss, which is clearly a concept that Hannah is going to kind of hang her hat on for a little while. Um, 
One other, though, weird thing that Ren says in this scene is he's talking about his father and he says his father, quote, traded our family room for the chaos inside his head, which, like, makes it sound like he just his father just decided to go crazy one day, like just for fun or just because he was like done being a father, which, um, yeah, seems like a weird mischaracterization of someone succumbing to a serious mental illness. Yeah, yeah, I really agree. So over at the Hastings house, Spencer is looking at Toby and trying to, you know, not at all casually interrogate him about Jenna. Uh, Toby, we see, is looking at some blueprints, some manly blueprints, because he is, in fact, Toby Cavanaugh, teen architect, teen carpenter. Um, and it's just like, we don't even talk about the blueprints in the scene. They're just sort of like dramatically like dusted out from countertop to coffee table. Um, Toby says that it was really weird at their house, uh, that being the, the Kavanaugh Marshall house. And Spencer actually says, how come? Like, terrible stuff isn't going on in that house on the rag. Like, she genuinely is like, oh, Toby, why was it weird? You know, in, you know, Jenna's, Jenna's snow globe jail. Um, Toby says that their parents have been very careful around Jenna since the surgery. Spencer sighs. Toby notes that Spencer seems uh, tense. Great, great observation skills, Toby. He starts to rub her shoulders. Spencer says that she was born tense. Toby slides a hand up her back, starts kissing her back. There's a lot of, like, back action because she turns around and they start making out and slides her hands on his back. I had forgotten that this is the era of, of Spoby where every single scene between the two of them, it's like, are they going to have sex? Are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Not yet. Not yet. Just wait, Spoby fam. Veronica comes in and they thankfully break apart. Veronica clearly seems delighted to see Toby. Um, we learn that she hasn't heard from Melissa and is in a pissy mood, but is going to sort of uh, passive aggressively invite Toby to dinner anyway. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I feel like I'm never really into uh, I'm never really into the het couples very much, but uh, Ezra had like a gross thing going on with his tongue and his makeout scene, and then this massage is like so singularly unsexy. <laughs> like Toby's hands are just like. It oh it 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 really looks like um, this is not a situation that would make me if I were Spencer less tense. Um, but we also uh, when Veronica says that uh, Melissa like they're talking about Melissa and she wonders if Melissa's called. Spencer asks if Melissa is okay, and Veronica says that okay isn't a word she would really apply to Melissa's situation. And I think that this must be. Uh, we're supposed to understand that Melissa has had a miscarriage since it's now September and there's no mention of the actual baby. Mm -hmm. And there had been a reference to that, I think, in the last episode when they were talking about Melissa bouncing back quickly. Yeah, yeah. They haven't really said, like, what's going on with Melissa, but I think we're supposed to understand that that's what's going on. Yeah, so, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it until now but PLL's treatment of like miscarriage and pregnancy and somebody possibly faking a pregnancy or faking a miscarriage or having miscarried earlier in their pregnancy is all really bad like miscarriage is uh not a laughing fun mysterious matter it's actually a very serious hard thing that a lot of people go through and this show once again like 
again fails to show any sensitivity simply because melissa has been like slotted in the category of probably a villain yeah so this episode actually yeah this is like a trifecta because we have is mona faking her make mental illness is jenna faking being blind and later we're going to find out that melissa was faking the recentness of this miscarriage and had been faking her pregnancy for many months yes yes which is bad (laughs) bad all around um next day liars in the school hallway discussing the tutoring session and don't ask don't tell as it relates to prezra and samara and i missed the rest of this convo as i had to go take something to lower my blood pressure (laughs) below aria opens her locker to find an envelope with an earring in it Oh, yes. Very mysterious. Yeah, all of the, like, Presria quoted as queer stuff is forever incredibly annoying. Yes. Yes. Uh, But it does lead to a flashback. It does. Would you like to talk about this flashback? Oh, I I would. I would love to. Go for it. Um, Pink streaked hair Aria and Allison are in Byron's office. Arya is protesting that if her dad says Meredith is history, it must be true. To which I say, oh, girl. Allie rightly points out the sex couch and suggests they probably do it on there daily. Uh, Allie points out that the couch pillows smell like cheap perfume. A janitor comes by and the girls turn off the light and duck down. When Allie stands up again, she's found a couple of earrings in the couch. I don't know why Arya finds this more damning than the perfume, but she does. She decides that her dad lied, and in a fit of rage, she throws the pillow. This leads Allie to suggest that if Arya wants to get rid of this bitch, the right thing to do is to make Byron think she is psycho. They go on a wilding binge, trashing his office and writing very A-like messages in lipstick on the wall. This is a good Aria is A scene. And we had a good Ren is A one earlier when he was talking to Hannah about his mysterious past. So what is your headcanon for why? Because Allie is like pushing hard on this whole scene. It's like Allie is like the little devil on Arya's shoulder in a sense. What is your headcanon for, for why she does this? I mean, obviously it's like Allie, Allie's got to be Allie. Like this is a very Allie move. But I'm, I'm curious about why you think she specifically goes hard on this one. Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, one thing is that Allie always wants to test the liars to see what they're capable of. So it could be a test to see, uh, you know, what Arya is capable of doing. Uh, it could be, you know, leverage to hold over Arya in the future. Um, or I think that uh, an argument could also be made. Uh, and I think particularly things that we learned at the end of this episode, um, I think that they were possibly building a story where Allison had been having an affair with Byron. And so in this way, Allison wants to trash Byron's office, but like do it with like a cover motive. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, I I also I like the idea that she wants to trash his office. I also like the idea that there's specifically like evidence of their affair in his office that she either wants to destroy or wants Arya to happen upon 
because this is her sort of backdoor way of trying to tell Arya about the affair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the present, Arya finishes telling this, this sorry tale and adds that she's freaked out about the earrings because when Jessica asked the liars they wanted to put anything in Allie's coffin as a keepsake, something I don't think we've ever heard about before in, in the run of the show and the various funerals that Allison has had, uh, she put the earrings in there. So they have been stolen from the grave along with the body. Also, like, Arya, you, you were invited to put a keepsake for your dead friend, your dead best friend, by her mother, her grieving mother. And you chose the earring that you and your dead best friend allegedly found in your father's office as proof of an affair that led you to trash your father's office. That was the keepsake that you wanted to memorialize forever and of all time keeping it classy montgomery (laughs) very well this episode this is a tough aria episode i feel um aria is kind of like her her worst version of herself in this one i think um back at the rear window brew uh more more results of aria being terrible in this episode emily and ezra are still studying uh, they are deep in steady mode, though Emily seems distracted. Ezra sort of like has this look on his face like he's cracked the code. He's solved it. He's figured this one out. He asks Emily how she prepares for a swim meet. She says that she listens to music right before. And Ezra's like, I got it. You listen to music before you take the test. You prepare like you would for a swim meet. I- I've cracked the code. I've saved your life. You know, I'll I'll accept thank you in the following various forms. <laughs> yeah, he is totally like that. Um, also, like they're studying Ethan Frome, which later uh, talk about you know some uplifting American literature for you. Um, but also later when Emily takes the test, the test that she is taking, if you've read the book, uh, is not going to be very difficult. So. I don't know, his whole, like, little listen to music trick, I don't think it is quite the, um, you know, he, he would like her to, like, stand up on a chair and start reciting, oh, Captain, my Captain, to him, like, right at this moment. And I don't really think that's warranted. I also feel like, um, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not an athletic person, but I feel like preparing for a test and preparing for, like, a swim meet, that's kind of a different, a, a slightly different skill set, perhaps. Perhaps. Yes. Perhaps. Um, oh, Arya is walking out of school and her color palette sure is something. A rose-colored tank, bright yellow belt, and a sea green shirt or a skirt with a Rorschach pattern that could be flowers or records or abstract cows. Her phone chirps with a message from Prezra and then Jenna, who's sitting cross-legged on a nearby wall, calls out to her by name. Uh, she claims to have recognized Arya from her ringtone and further says that she was about to call her that night. She needs an accompanist for a piece she's playing at an upcoming assembly and would Arya like to play with her. Uh, this is, I believe, the first we've heard of Arya playing an instrument, despite her singing with Noel during the perfect storm. Uh, Jenna invites Arya over, and this whole invitation is framed in a way that just assumes Arya will agree. 
Arya does not agree and makes up a wild lie about needing to help her dad with the project and then ups the ante by pretending that he is already here and waving at her <laughs> from across the street. Jenna, who spends this scene ominously eating almonds and lining them up in a creepy way, looks over <laughs> her sunglasses to stare at Arya's retreating figure and the total lack of her reptilian father across the street. <laughs> Oh, see, I thought she was eating pistachios and lining up the shells. Oh, you know what? You may be right. You may be right. It probably like, is a shelled nut. I, I, but I also sort of, I almost even more like the idea that she would like arrange her almonds in this creepy like labyrinthian pattern just to eat them, like just just to make it more dramatic. Um, yeah, there's definite like Jenna is in love with Arya vibes here though, because she is really pushing hard for Arya to come over. Well, the last time these two had a scene together, I believe it was when uh, it was when Arya had infiltrated the pottery class where Jenna had actual friends and then pretended to be Maria? Anita. <laughs> Anita. She pretended to be Anita. Uh, and then they like side story character. <laughs> and then they like kind of had a thing and then she discovered her identity. So like they didn't part on good terms last no. time they talked. It's also like Arya has all this information in this episode that we probably should have heard about previously. We had the whole coffin scenario of things that they put in with Allie, but also like you mentioned her musical instrument, which weirdly, I, I don't think either Jenna or Arya say what the instrument is that she plays. That's true. I think we're going to learn, uh, we're going to learn in a later episode that it's the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a, she's a pianist. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Um, so later Aria is explaining this whole Jenna situation over the phone to Hannah um, and continuing with her, you know, the, the sort of shared group desire for Hannah to interrogate Mona. Um, Hannah turns cold when Caleb arrives with takeout Caleb says that he's starving. Um, Hannah kind of tries to to cover for her uh, anxiety by being like, "Oh, it, what took you so long?" Blah blah blah. She keep, we see that she keeps glancing at the clock, and we see that Caleb notices. Yes, Hannah is clearly distracted. Uh, you know, she insists there's nowhere she'd rather be. Certainly not Mona's room at Radley or Mona's pants. In case anyone's wondering, certainly not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, Spencer's cell phone rings, uh, but Veronica Hastings, in a sleeveless blue blouse that Olivia Benson would envy, tells her to call whoever it is back. Spencer asks if everything is okay, but it is not. Veronica has discovered that Spencer is visiting Garrett at the jail. He is a dangerous man. Why would she do this? Spencer tries to sell her on the just needing answers line, but Veronica's like, that should all come out at his trial. Great, great point. Spencer also briefly tries a Maya was her friend to tack. I mean, they didn't talk much, but Maya did have sex in Spencer's bed once. So guess that's a bond. <laughs> Veronica points out that if people think Garrett has friends on the outside who dug up Allie's grave, that's all the more reason not to visit him. People could think Spencer is the one doing his bidding. Veronica repeats that Spencer is never to go there again. Yes, uh, Veronica is very upset. 
Um, so back over at the Marins, Caleb are having a very awkward dinner. Uh, Hannah is not eating, which we know is a sign that something is wrong. Hannah needs to be eating out. And she says in this sort of, oh, I just thought of this way, that she was thinking of visiting Mona at Radley. When Caleb asks why, all of a sudden, she pulls a classic, it's complicated. Uh, Caleb is immediately antagonistic about Mona. Um, when Hannah says that Mona was her best friend and she knows that Caleb hates her, uh, Caleb says that he feels sorry for Mona, but he doesn't care if she never gets out as long as she can't get near or hurt Hannah. And Hannah has the absolutely heartbreaking line, it hurts me to see her like this, okay? And then she says, I'm having an ambiguous loss. When Caleb asks where she learned that term, she lies and says that she got it on, she uh, got it online. So she still is, you know, not telling him the truth that she's been uh, visiting Mona previously. And then she says that she is not going to have this fight, which I find really like a fascinating move because we know that, I mean, Hannah and Caleb have gotten in lots of fights and will continue to get in lots of fights. But this is one where Hannah knows where Caleb is coming from. And also Hannah knows where her own heart is coming from. And she is not willing to have this Mona debate right here, right now. Uh, Caleb kind of sighs and says that he will go with her. He'll take her to Radley, which is framed as this really nice thing that he's doing, but also like he could just trust his girlfriend to let her do this rather than needing to chaperone her there and hang out like Papa Bear in the Radley waiting room. Caleb says that he loves her and he doesn't want them sneaking around each other. Um, and and this, this sort of theme in this scene is like, Caleb saying, you know, I thought we didn't lie to each other anymore. I thought we told each other the truth. And Hannah is sort of, you know, not telling him the whole truth while kind of acting as though she might be. Yeah, uh, this is, wow. This is like a prelude to the future of Caleb. And it is not, it's not looking great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like this is a thing that TV shows do and that PLL particularly does a lot where, uh, it casts the greatest good in a partner uh, being uh, protectiveness, uh, that a partner being protective of you is always a partner who's looking out for you, which is not at all true, because I think that, you know, we all understand that Caleb is is coming from a place where he wants to protect Hannah. But what does Hannah need in this situation in her kitchen? Does she need to be protected from Mona or does she maybe need some compassion? Um, you know, right. does, does she need for him to maybe say, you know, why do you feel this way? What is it like to see Mona there? Why did you feel like you had to do this alone? Um, he doesn't do any of that. He gets shouty. Uh, and even after, I, I think it's after Hannah says that it hurts her to see Mona like that. He gets shouty and he says really hurtful things like that. He doesn't care if Mona spends her life pooping in a stall with no door. I mean, the contempt that he is leveling at Mona and therefore at Hannah for caring about Mona. Like that's not, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're not just hitting your target here. You're definitely, um, you know, you're you're definitely wounding Hannah when you say things like that. Um, It's no good. And, you know, when he insists, insists that he'll drive Hannah there, uh, I feel like that is just such a bad trick of controlling partners, uh, insisting on accompanying you to a party or a social event 
and making it in to such an ordeal and making it so uncomfortable and so like, look at what a good human I'm being by doing this thing that you know I don't want to do and just creating such a situation around it that maybe next time you'll just decide that you would rather not go. Yeah, it's almost like the show is framing Caleb's offer to take Hannah there as Caleb, you know, asking Hannah what she needs or asking Hannah what it's like for her when they are so not the same thing. And it's Caleb. Caleb is making no strides to understand this situation better. If you know, if anything, he's just trying to control the situation more. And um, I, I think it's, it's so fascinating that like Hannah, Hannah knew that this was the fight that they were going to have. Hannah knew that this was going to be Caleb's reaction Um, and the antagonism between Hannah and, or between Caleb and Mona, I just like, it's so, it's so heavy here. And, and I think we'll just continue throughout the series. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, over at the Montgomery's, Aria is ruminating on the earring when a text message comes in instructing her to tell Byron or the other earring goes to the police. The next morning, as Byron walks by her room, she asks to speak to him. She admits to trashing his office, and Byron does not take it well. He does not acknowledge how angry Arya must have been. He takes no responsibility for her having no outlet for her emotions that she was feeling because he'd sworn her to secrecy to protect his sordid affair. Nope. He chastises her and says he was very close to calling the police and he said some harsh things to his mistress and it's all her fault, okay? Ah, spare me, Professor Montgomery. Uh, Also, Meredith eventually got hired at Hollis, where Byron has the ultimate higher firepower over all staffing decisions. So clearly it ended in some antagonistic sex amid the ruins of the couch. Byron stomps out saying that he and Arya owe Meredith an apology, and he isn't going to do that for her. Also, he's clearly already talking to Meredith again because he already knows that she had a run-in with Arya the day before. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I, I think as as A schemes go, this is a little bit weak because if A took that earring to the police, it's like Arya is the only person that knows that this earring was buried with Allison and, like, what the significance of that earring was. So it's like, okay? Like, it seems like this is only just designed for Arya to be in conflict with her dad. Uh, yes, and also the earring is, does not appear to be like a one of a kind made from the Hope Diamond piece of jewelry. I mean, it, it basically looks like something that someone you know might shoplift from like Claire's at the mall. So I I, I don't think mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that her anxiety about the uniqueness uh, of this earring is a bit misplaced. Yeah, it, it's no like eternity stone made from the dead body of a fake doctor or something that we know of that we know of um but also like lol at byron being like do you have any idea how close that came to calling the police which is kind of a common refrain in the montgomery household times when you might call the police on somebody but you know eh, it's just a little too much work times that they dial nine one 
and this just never, never <laughs> reaches the last digit. It just—it's—it's it's too much. It might ruin a man's career or something. Uh, um, I also just I. I don't hate the whole Meredith subplot and I'll be curious to revisit it as we go into it. But I kind of wish that the fallout of Presria, like we had gotten a little bit more time to sit with that. Like, cause this, I feel like this is like the second coming out of Presria that we're in right now. And we keep hearing about Byron's like constipated face and upset, but I kind of wish that we got to see that tension in them a little bit more like the monk, the Montgomery tension in the absence of Ella since she's moved out. Um, before bringing in the whole Meredith thing. Why do you think that Arya remains living with Byron? That's a good question. I th- I think it's, it seems like Ella gets this like tiny apartment that nobody can stay in, which is weird. Like that's an, that's a weird choice. I feel like Byron, I can see Byron like throwing a whole fit about keeping the house. Um, but it is, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know why. Interesting thought. Um, so Emily is taking Prezra's advice. Always a great idea, Emily. Um, listening to some truly terrible pop music as she prepares to take her makeup test. Ella kind of uh, introduces the, the test and how long they'll have to take it. And then just, it looks like she just leaves the room. Like she just, she's going to lunch or something. She's somewhere else to be. So... <laughs> You know, don't cheat off each other's papers. Don't look the answers up on your phone. See you in 45 minutes, kids. I got to get a mani-pedi. Um, <laughs> maybe she had an office to trash. <laughs> oh, um, Hannah and Caleb are at Radley. He's going to sit outside the door of Mona's room in case Hannah needs him. Yeah, you know, it's a good thing to have him out there in case he hears screaming or moaning. Whichever. Hannah goes in, uh, now wearing a name badge that says Marin, nice touch, and says that she is here to return the favor and pulls out the good makeup. Oh, man. It's just, gosh, she, she's so like tender with Mona here. It's so, it's so sweet. Like, and I know that like, okay, she has the agenda. She's trying to interrogate Mona too, but she's also like, She's also here for Mona, and it's it's really, I I love I love that she does the whole makeover thing. I just love it so much, um and and it feels like also this weird, they don't, she says something about I I guess I figured it was time to return the favor because this is what Mona did for her when Hannah was in the hospital, and mm-hmm. it's like we've had two acknowledgments of Mona running Hannah over with a car in this episode, and it almost feels like this is Hannah's way of saying, like. I may not totally understand or forgive you for that, but like a part of me already kind of has forgiven you. Yeah. Well, because Mona lashed out at Hannah in anger and ran her over with the car and then showed up when Hannah was in the hospital and did her makeup. Hannah, the last time they were together, lashed out and threw a chair at Mona. And now she has regrets about that. And like, this is her way of, I think kind of trying to, to make a little bit of, amends mm-hmm. i agree i agree and, and as we know like hannah has the most giant forgiving heart of anyone she totally does and uh in the in the first episode of the season there were several scenes where someone would say a and hannah would say mona like she would correct them and so 
the first episode seemed to be about Hannah, like, really digging down on, like, who is Mona? Mona was A. Who was A? A was Mona. Like, so Hannah has that part of it nailed down. In this episode, it's almost about Hannah figuring out who Hannah is. Like, Hannah is going to visit Mona under an alias, and then by the end of the episode, she's visiting Mona under her own name. Like, Hannah is willing to accept that she, Hannah Marin, wants to go visit Mona, who is A. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really interesting. I um yeah, I think that I think that somebody should write like a thesis about um Hannah as like Frankenstein's monster and Mona as Dr. Frankenstein. Um, oh. So, uh Toby and Spencer are looks like finishing up breakfast at a, a cafe that is not Rear Window Brew. It's some other Rosewood cafe. Toby has a big satchel, presumably full of blueprints. Um, but he pulls out some eye drops of Jenna's that he has found with a recent prescription. Why would Jenna need a recent prescription for eye drops? Can she see? Spencer seems really surprised by this thought as though that hasn't been like what they've kind of been like low key pitching all episode. I feel like Spencer's a little behind the ball this episode. I mean, earlier she was like, how come when Toby said that things were weird at his house? And now she seems to not really be getting this whole um, Jenna might be able to see thing. And she'll have another moment later in this episode where I'm like, why didn't you put that together until now, Spencer? Spencer's not in top form right now. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Things that Spencer has found suspicious about Jenna in this episode include like whatever date she was supposed to get back from music camp and also uh the ownership of eye drops so it, it doesn't take much i feel like uh to really take spencer from zero to extremely suspicious uh when it comes to jenna yes agreed agreed uh in the test taking room emily sees a girl put a clip in her hair and it prompts a flashback to the driver of the car putting a clip in her hair. And Emily realizes that Jenna was driving the car. This throws her and makes her unable to finish questions 14 and beyond. Yes, Emily is is very, very distracted and upset. Um, she She has this hazy flashback. Before we see Jenna's face, we see gloves. And I thought... Oh, is it Sarah? Is it Shower Harvey? Was she the one driving the car? But no, it's just Jenna. Um, it's just a different sour girl. Um, Aria arrives at the rear window brew. This is like the first time that we see the little couch area where it will basically become like the central perk couch for the liars. Like we're going to be seeing a lot more of this couch. Um, but right now, right now, Meredith is sitting there. Aria has been made to apologize to Meredith solo. Like she, she, not that Byron would be much comfort, but she has to do this on her own. Um, Meredith, again, icily sort of regards Aria and invites her to sit down while barely looking up from her tablet. Aria says that she needs to clarify about trashing the office. Meredith cuts her off. Byron has already told Meredith the whole backstory, but has not filled Aria in on that, apparently, just leaving her to, you know, flap her gums about, about what she did with Allison. Oh, my God, Byron, you are just really a prince in the way that you handled this situation. Arya rather reluctantly apologizes. Um, clearly, like, does not accept this apology, but quickly slips in that she and Byron are having lunch tomorrow. Thanks to Arya, 
Uh, clearly, she she relishes in relaying this information. Arya is eager to get out of this interaction, so she quickly hands over a single earring that Meredith says that it doesn't belong to her. Who could the earring belong to? Oh, man, this scene. Uh, I Meredith, uh, you know, kind of responds to Arya at one point by saying, uh, yeah, she remembers Byron's threats on her voicemail like it was yesterday, uh, which made me feel like, don't you love how all the adults hold Arya responsible for their actions? Like, Byron is a grown-up. He made a choice to call and leave threats on Meredith's voicemail. Arya did not choose this course of action for him, but yet she is the one being held accountable for it. Nonsense! Uh, also, I love the twist with the earring because either the earrings were alleys and she just planted them there uh, or Byron had another student he was sleeping with and the earrings belonged to, to Madame X or the earrings were alleys and she knew they were there because she was having an affair with Byron the whole time or the earrings were Ella's because Byron is just the kind of guy who would have sex with as many women uh, married or not married to on that couch as he could may or maybe they were ezra's <laughs> extremely possible they could have had a thruple you you never know you never know what might have been going on there nope nope it's a big mystery uh over at the jail the guard tells spencer that garrett is meeting with his lawyer and it could be a while Spencer ducks around the corner to wait and spends her time examining the eye drops of mystery. Then she hears a familiar voice asking the guard for a list of visitors from the last five months. It's Veronica. She seems to be Garrett's new lawyer. And Spencer hides pretty poorly by just like turning her back and facing the wall. Uh, but Veronica is in mission mode and does not see Spencer skulking around. Yes, yes, Veronica. She wants she wants to know who has been visiting Garrett. <laughs> there's there's like so I guess there's like not a waiting room at the jail. Like Spencer just has to like go around this corner and look at some yeah. eye drops. And then we there's another bad waiting room that we're about to go to where Caleb is sitting, <laughs> which is like it's behind the the cage door that you have to be buzzed in but it's just like a metal bench so the waiting areas in rosewood this week are, are not at all good no they they really they really are not um so speaking of uh at radley caleb is sitting in this sort of poor excuse for a waiting room playing solitaire when ren shows up um we immediately see caleb kind of his his forehead sort of knit together in concern Ren quickly introduces himself and makes it clear that Hannah has been coming here for a while. Uh, Caleb uh, seems upset, but Ren brings up that Hannah had, has had conflicts about the visits, um, but he thinks that the visits are helping. He name checks ambiguous loss. Ren just loves showing up and spewing his doctor knowledge all over the boyfriends of the various young women he's interested in. He, you know, ends this conversation with a, Cheerio, old chap. By the way, which one of us do you think is most likely to get it on with Spencer and Hannah at the same time? I'm betting on me. Caleb is angry mad. Yes. Oh, he's so outraged because Hannah has talked to another person about her feelings, despite Caleb's, like, complete shittiness and unwillingness to discuss those feelings with her directly. Right. Well, I think it's that. I, I also think, I think a big thing here is that 
the fact that Hannah's clearly been coming to visit Mona a lot more than Caleb thought previously. Um, it, because he makes some remarks about, well, Hannah will just do whatever she does. But also definitely the confiding in Ren, he's having a problem with, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like uh, one of the things, I mean, it's obviously a dick measuring contest. And Caleb is signaling that he is clearly not interested in a throuple uh, I think Ren would have better luck kind of taking that to Hannah and Mona. Uh, but, you know, you can, sure. you know, your mileage may vary. Um, but the the pissy resentment of Caleb in this episode, I just feel like it's not a good look. And it's one that's going to continue in Caleb's treatment of Mona for a really long time. Yes. Yeah. And and it, I feel like um, a correlation with that is him getting increasingly paternalistic with Hannah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, you know what? Can I take uh, the jail and then the quick scene back at the school? Totally, totally. All right. So back at the jail, Spencer goes to see Garrett. Uh, sorry, he says he can't talk to her. His new lawyer made him promise. Oh, Spencer is so upset. Why did her mom agree? What did he tell her? What does he know about Jenna? Her questions get more and more desperate, but he just sits there silently like the cat that ate the canary. And this is seriously the best plotting he's ever done in terms of effectiveness alone. Uh, He winds up getting a good lawyer and Spencer is just dying for information that he gets to withhold. But once again, I feel like Spencer is a little slow on the uptake because he he references Veronica as his lawyer and she hasn't put together, having seen Veronica at the jail minutes ago, that Veronica is his new lawyer. She's like, what? No, my mom thinks you're guilty. My mom's not your new lawyer. As if Veronica would never defend somebody who she thought might be guilty. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Um, back over at school. Ella looks at Emily's test with the third page that is not yet filled out. Ella picks up a different pen and fills it out for her. A door closes in the distance and she startles. Now I ask you, how would anyone know that Ella wasn't just grading this test? I say to you, Prezra is the one responsible for this whole entire situation because he probably still has cameras in the classroom and then he's going to get to be the hero later and show up and save the day. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah, this whole thing seems completely like an like an Ezra orchestration, you know, and it just further kind of indebts uh, Ella to him, which is exactly what he wants. It is. It is. He mentioned the lovely dinner that they had with her before. And I always really like the idea that, like, of the various things that happen to the liars, some of them are A, but some of them are other antagonists who they just never catch because they always think everything that happens to them is A-related. Right, right. And this is, so this exact storyline basically is going to get repeated again in season seven. (laughs) Emily, like, getting test results, like, positive test results for a test that she didn't do. So great recycling PLL, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What happens that um, time? She's like, oh, she's at, late to at, take the test. Yes, I think so. And, and I feel like it has something to do with her egg donation. I don't totally remember. <laughs> All right. So back at Radley, Hannah has completed Mona's makeover. Mona looks more or less like herself. And Hannah says this. She says that even though the lighting is bad, Mona looks more like somebody that she recognizes. 
Um, and this right here is Mona's fantasy. Caleb is on the other side of the door while Hannah is in here with Mona, making Caleb wait as she takes care of Mona while speaking one of Vandermeeren's love languages, which of course is makeovers. Um, Hannah seems happy with her work, but Mona still doesn't react. Hannah kneels in front of Mona and says, I came here because I know there's a person still in there. I know you've been hurt, but so have I, and I still am. And as she gets up as she starts to gather her makeup and says, trust me, you're not the first person to hurt me. You're certainly not the last. And Mona speaks what I believe are her first words of the season when she says, you're getting them again, aren't you? The texts. And before Hannah can follow up on this bombshell of a statement, stupid Caleb busts in, telling Hannah that it's time to leave, visiting hours are over. Hannah stalls for time, saying that she needs to gather her things together. Um, she very quickly and repeatedly asks Mona what text she's talking about. But Mona is silent again, whether it's because that was all she intended on revealing or whether it's because the revelation that Caleb is here has made her feel uh, betrayed or like she doesn't want to speak. Uh, we can we can maybe <laughs> think about that, perhaps. Um, but Hannah says that they are not done talking as she walks out. Um, she says that she is coming back. Uh, Ashley Benson, again, she's so good in these scenes. She just is playing, like, Hannah has all this weariness and torment and longing. It's really, really beautiful to see. It's really heartbreaking to see. Um, we stay on Mona as Hannah and Caleb leave, and we see that she reaches into her pocket and pulls out a pair of tweezers, pushing one end into her finger and twisting it around until she bleeds. Oh, this scene. I had the same note about love languages because you see Hannah showing Mona her face in a mirror, which, you know, is Mona's thing. And also that she's kind of, uh, you know, like comatose Mona is a mask that Mona is showing to Hannah. But then Hannah is putting this mask of makeup on over the mask that Mona already has. So it's like a mask of a face on a face, which is also very much Mona's thing. Uh, and then when she says, I know you've been hurt, but so have I, Hannah includes that Mona has been hurt. Like her heart mm -hmm. is so enormous. She is demonstrating real compassion uh, for Mona here, which is just really incredible. Uh, and then, of course, uh, at the end when, you know, Mona has spoken and Hannah is just like trying to get her to say more. She's so intrigued. She will be back. They're not done talking. Who do you think? plays this game better in this episode mona with hannah or garrett with spencer in terms of like how much do you feed a horse before a race just enough so that it knows that it's hungry uh who is thread that needle better garrett or mona oh i think mona i don't think there's much finesse with garrett i think he's just sort of desperate and shouting out you know random half loop i mean with mona with Mona, there's a lot more intrigue going on. And and I think what's exciting is you don't know, like, how much of this is an act. Like, is it all an act? We do know she's on a lot of medication, but, like, is she actually taking the medication? I don't know. Yeah, and, and here's something. Uh, Mona demonstrates that she understands Hannah better than Caleb does. She understands when Hannah says, uh, you're certainly not going to be the last person to hurt her. Mona understands that means the text messages are happening again, which is something that Caleb does not yet know about. 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, and also, I think that a strong argument could be made earlier in this episode. Mona glanced at the badge, uh, the the uh, Rivers badge in Hannah's uh, or in her wastebasket. I think a strong argument could be made that Mona starts sneaking out at the like Mona is already sneaking out at this point. Like from the moment she saw that badge, she started sneaking. Yeah, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good, though. It's such a good scene. Uh, uh, over in Ella's classroom, Prezra appears to anxiously inquire how Emily did on the test. I mean, he didn't even care that much about helping her, so this spurt of curiosity is curious. Anyway, Ella tells him Emily did very well, and they are all rooting for her to succeed. She tries to signal him with her eyebrows, like, about 100 times to just <laughs> go along, but he acts like a confused man who really wanted her to announce that Emily is being promoted to best student ever on account of his stand and deliver intervention. <laughs> yeah, Ella does everything short of an ear tug here. Like her <laughs> eyes just keep getting wider and wider. She's like, we are all rooting for her to succeed. It has been taken care of. Yeah, he's like, it's, where, it's, where are all my former students who are going to come in and stand on their desks and recite, oh, captain, my captain? I know it's going to happen in this episode. I know it. But then it, it does not occur. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to start reciting To Kill a Mockingbird in a round. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the liars are in their new favorite hangout spot, the bathroom. Um, Spencer wants Hannah to go back to Radley. Uh, Hannah says that she doesn't know if that's going to be possible. It's not easier for her to get there. Caleb is all over me. Spencer replies, I don't need to know that. Jealous much, Spencer? My goodness. I also, I forgot to mention that earlier in this episode, Spencer made another snarky comment about Byron when she said, I forget what it was exactly, but she said something about, it was something about Ezra's name. And she was like, that's more than Arya's dad is saying or something like that. Ezra, Spencer with the snark in this episode. My God. Um, Aria is worried about whose earring that was. You know, this is pretty low stakes, Aria. Emily is pacing. Hannah wants Spencer to ask her mom about defending Garrett. Emily brings up Jenna driving in a way that uh, clearly suggests that she's already told the liars this information. Um, Aria says that they believe her in a way that clearly suggests they don't. Emily thinks that Jenna might be on Mona's payroll. Hannah says that that isn't possible. The liars are just really spinning out here. Uh, the bell rings and Spencer says that they have to go. And then there is this great moment of physical comedy when the liars uh, walk out into the hall, see Jenna on her way to the bathroom and do this hilarious U-turn back into the bathroom. Spencer thinks fast. She pulls out the earring and says that they'll set a trap here for Jenna. They put the earring um, on the counter here in the bathroom and all run into a stall and, or into two stalls. First of all, as if Jenna can't identify them all by the sm by their smell and the sound of their breathing. Like, um, so Jenna, in her blind drag, walks into the bathroom. She fills up her water bottle. She reaches for her the earring pulls down her glasses and looks at it in case the liars couldn't guess that could tell that she could see at this point um, only to resume the blind routine on her way out after putting down the earring. The liars burst out of the stall with lots of energy. Hannah wants to do more than slap Jenna now kinky 
Arya wants to hang a sign, bitch can see, but Spencer says that they can use this and they will. The liars all grin at each other, so delighted that they have sussed out the fact that the girl they blinded is now faking her blindness. Yes, and of course Spencer is like, no, the, you know, like Jenna is pretending that she can see so that she can have an advantage over her enemies who will think that she is blind, but really she can see. And that Spencer is like doubling down on that logic. Like we are not going to let our enemy know that we know that she can see. Like, it's just this whole, it's this whole thing. Um, And I mean, none of it, none of it is great. Uh, But of course this is like, this is the classic PLL line of the episode. Bitch can see. Bitch can see. Yes, I forgot to mention that earlier, um, spent, Hannah was like, do I get to slap Jenna again? And then, like, she mentions the slap twice. So, Hannah's thinking about that slap. Hannah has a lot of aggression going on in this episode. Yes, yes, she does. She does. Yeah, it, it definitely is coming out here. Uh, a tag at a hunting store where knives and gloves are sold. A is buying a whole pile of black hoodies. The guy behind the counter asks, "Are these for a team? <laughs> An A team, perhaps?" Looks <laughs> <laughs> like the person buying all of these things might be wearing a red coat. Oh yes, yes, good, good call. Uh, yes, they do not have a black hoodie. They only have a red coat slash robe slash cape uh, but now they also have like one dozen black hoodies yes for a team which is another idea that never really crystallized the way i think me- we maybe wanted it to agree agree um but that is the episode that is blood is the new black what did you think of this as a as a follow-up to the the premiere I think it's interesting. I think that the questions are mounting. They have that scene in the bathroom where they're going over all of the things that are like unanswered so far. Like whose earring was it? What does Mona know? Why is Veronica representing Garrett? Uh, You know, does Emily remember correctly about Jenna? Why was she calling Aria Arlene? Like there are all these unanswered questions that we don't, uh, that we don't know the answer to yet. And so I think they're doing a good job of building on the first episode. Um, And I think it's interesting, too, that here we are still uh, just kind of focusing on uh, getting deeper into some of the relationships with characters we saw in the earlier seasons, such as Meredith and such as Ren. Uh, We still haven't really introduced uh, any of the new characters that are going to come into the show during this particular half season. Such as Charlotte and Cousin Nate. (laughs) But yeah, in particular, those are the big ones I'm thinking of. But we haven't even seen Paige McCullers, although she's not a new character. She's just someone who's going to have a larger role to play. Uh, She hasn't even made an appearance yet. Right. Or Noel, who will be pretty present in this half season. Um, He's been name checked, but I don't think we've seen him yet. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel like the Hannah stuff is so good here. But there's, I hadn't really thought about the fact that, like, at this point, the other liars, it feels like, don't have a whole lot to do. Like, Spencer, I mean, Spencer is great because Spencer's always great, but, like, Spencer doesn't have a whole lot to do. Basically, she's just interrogating Garrett and not having sex with Toby at this point. 
Um, Emily is just sort of caught in her grief fugue state. Um, and Aria is is being pretty entertaining, but like making some really terrible decisions. Um, and and sort of caught in this awful, you know, basically Ezra Byron like love triangle thing right now. Um, it, it really feels like Hannah is the character with the most meat on the bone story wise right now. Yeah, I I definitely think that that's true. I think that the test taking plot is one that they give Emily when they don't have anything else for her to do, yes. um, as evidenced in the later seasons. So that's true. I. I think that, like, as we're watching it, um, I find Spencer visiting Garrett and and being really interested in whether or not she or whether Garrett or, you know, what's going on with that, who killed Allison and Maya. I find that interesting as we're watching it. But I have to admit, I had kind of forgotten that even happened during this period of the show um, before we started rewatching these particular episodes. So obviously that doesn't have a lot of lasting relevance i had forgotten again like i i think i had just forgotten like how how elongated this part of this season was like how much like that there was basically a whole episode where mostly all spencer did was interrogate garrett i had forgotten about that yeah but i like how uh if there's no mystery spencer is going to resurrect it like single-handedly completely completely so like you know spencer is trying spencer is like resurrecting the mystery hannah is like trying to dig into this like you know kind of shell of mona that she's encountering and trying to like find the friend that she lost uh and so they are both trying to kind of reanimate uh reanimate the things that went away for them but emily does not have that option like emily's dead girlfriend is just going to remain dead so as we track how the grief plays out through the season, um, that's that's definitely something uh, that I think it's interesting to kind of keep an eye on with these characters' journeys. Yeah, I I totally agree. And Ar- Aria, Aria is who knows what Aria is grieving. I mean, I I guess technically the end of her parents' marriage, but she doesn't seem terribly broken up about that. So no, she seems really resolved to it. In fact. Yeah, yeah, so that's so, Aria. Um, so next week, our episode is, I believe it is Kingdom of the Blind, right? Um, you're right. And that is kind of the the coming to, coming to Jesus moment with Jenna's eyesight. Um, I believe that that's the episode where uh, Hannah has that great moment where she slams her hands down on the hood of the car, which is a great oh. Hannah moment. Uh, is 3A Hannah's best half season? I think it might be. Oh, maybe. Although I do love, um, I mean, it's a weird part of the show, but that the whole part when she, after the dollhouse, when she keeps making everybody go to therapy and she's like, <laughs> we're going to process our issues, damn it. Get in the car. <laughs> uh, I do love, I do love that. I do love that. And, and I, the, when, when Allie comes back and Hannah is grappling with all of her identity stuff, I think is a, a hard, a hard part of the series for Hannah, but a really uh, compelling, compelling part of the series. But yeah, the Hannah, the Hannah growth here. I mean, it makes so much sense because it's like, as as you were talking about, you know, Mona has been so integral to Hannah reshaping her identity, and in the absence of Mona, um, and in the the sort of the new context of knowing who Mona was all along, where does that leave Hannah? 
Yeah, it's interesting that that is not something that Hannah is articulating, but I love the way it echoes in the name tags in this particular episode. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. And they're all, like, Hannah is, like, having to deal with who she is without Mona telling her who she is. And also, like, the echo of that is who she is without Allison telling her who she is. And Aria is dealing with that same thing about Allison. Like, mm-hmm. who is she the person who trashed the office because she wanted to? Or is she the person who trashed the office because Allie manipulated her to? Like, what, what is her deal? Totally, totally. And, you know, and I think another piece in the whole Hannah Mona thing is that Hannah, Hannah seemed to often have this impression that, like, Mona was, oh, goodness, um, that Mona was, like, her sidekick. Um, did you just see the cat? <laughs> yeah, I saw your closet door <laughs> ominously open, and I was like, I hope that that's one of the cats and not, like, a horror movie situation. <laughs> no, it's just a cat going crazy in here. Um, no, but just to, just to finish that thought that like that Hannah often had this impression that like she and Mona changed together or like Mona was her sidekick, but Hannah ultimately like changed into the person that she wanted to be. And now it's like having to recognize that Mona was always a few steps ahead of her leading the charge on the whole transformation. And, um, I think that that really comes into play in season uh, season five when Hannah feels like like who even am I? And then she even she even like name you know names it to Mona. She's like, Allie was gone. Why did you want her back? Why did you why did you do all of this? Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, so much good stuff. I I just love all of the Vandermeer and. Ex- like exploration that we get here. And I feel like it's one of the few times when the writers really give us the space. Like I wish that Emerson had gotten this much time, like even if it's only just a few episodes of Hannah doing these Radley visits, we never get that much time for Emerson to really like look, just sit in a room and look at each other and try to figure out what has happened between them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> some of the things um, there's like things that I'm thinking about that I'm like, was that an effect that I read? Or like, was that, is that something that's actually going to happen in the series? And I, I kind of can't remember, but like, I'm, I'm very excited for, um, for the, the continuing unfoldment of the exploration of Vandermeeren. Yeah. I have so many fics that like refer to this time period. Cause I have a fic where, the soup throwing is important. I have a fic that like took place during the the pilot of, of this season um, with Spencer and Emily. Um, I, there's like one more that I thought of. Oh, there's um, Emily realizing that Hannah is visiting Mona because yes. Caleb comes to her in uh, Rose in a Twisted Glove. This is like, I, I don't know why, this is like a period that I feel like is very fertile for... Uh, just different different relationships that could go in a lot of different directions. Totally, totally. I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I was thinking a lot about that whole part of, of Rose and a Fisted Glove um, with Caleb going to Emily. And it had a moment where I could not remember if that was actually a thing that happens or if that is just a thing that happens in thick, in thick land. Um, yes. But... <laughs> Anyway, if you have thoughts on this episode, 
Uh, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Um, we are excited uh, for Kingdom of the Blind. So we'll be back next week. We will be off the week of Thanksgiving, and then we will resume season three um, moving forward after that. And I'm I'm really excited to keep going. Yeah, this is this is some good good stuff to dig into. All right, until next time. Take, Take care. care.